0: This month of Womanica is brought to you by LinkedIn. What does it mean to you to be professional? On LinkedIn, important conversations are happening around what that word means and how it's changing as we rethink when, where, and how we work. LinkedIn members are talking about things like needing more flexibility and taking time away from work to focus on family or mental health. Those things should not stunt career development and growth. Instead, the workplace will be better when we show up on our own terms. Professional is ours to define, and our authentic selves are our professional selves. Post your truth, show the world the authentic professional you, and join the conversations redefining professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn, welcome professionals. Hey listeners, it's Jenny with another podcast I think you'll love, TED Talks Daily, Every weekday, you'll hear new ideas on every topic imaginable, from artificial intelligence to how the war in Ukraine can change everything. One episode in particular that I thought you'd really like is the recent talk from creator, comedian, and actress Lily Singh. Lily gets into how women and girls are conditioned to believe success is a seat at the table, when really, we should build a better table. She's hilarious and not only shares intimate experiences from her career, but also offers ways we can build a more inclusive society where girls are encouraged and empowered to do great things. Stick around to hear part of her talk or head over to TED Talks Daily from the TED Audio Collective, wherever you listen. Hello
1: from Wonder Media Network. I'm Michelle Monaghan, and this is Womanica. This month, we're highlighting innovators, women who helped shape the world we live in today from inventors to thinkers. Today, we're talking about one of the radical feminists of the 19th century. Alongside Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony, the trio were known as the triumvirate. But due to the turns of history, you may not know her name. Let's welcome Matilda Jocelyn Gage. Matilda Electa Joslin was born in Cicero, New York, on March 24, 1826. Her parents were Dr. Hezekiah and Helen Joslin, abolitionists who believed in educating their daughter, though it was uncommon at the time. The Joslin home was a stop on the Underground Railroad. In 1845, Matilda married Henry H. Gage, and their home also became a station on the Underground Railroad. In 1852, Matilda spoke at the National Women's Rights Convention in Syracuse. From there, she quickly cemented her place in the women's rights movement. Matilda co-founded National Woman Suffrage Association, or the NWSA, alongside Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony. Its goal was to secure a federal women's suffrage amendment to the Constitution. Matilda's methods were direct. While she worked as an editor for suffrage publications and organized the group's work, she was better known for her protests. In 1871, for example, she organized several women in her own town to attempt to vote. Each time they were turned away, she would return with more volunteers. As she wrote in a letter to a friend, she was refused for being a married woman, so she brought along two single women to vote. When they were turned away, Matilda brought along a pair of widows. She continued the pattern until she'd exhausted every possible excuse and made a scene each time. On July 4, 1876, the Triumvirate crashed the U.S. Centennial Exposition, also known as the World's Fair, at Independence Hall in Philadelphia. Matilda and Susan B. Anthony presented their most encompassing work to date, the Declaration of the Rights of Women. It outlined their grievances as citizens without full rights in the country, likening their oppression by men to that of American colonies under King George III. Still, Matilda wasn't satisfied. She saw another threat to women's suffrage that other feminist leaders, Elizabeth and Susan included, refused to engage with, the church. She openly criticized Christianity, calling its relationship to women the most stupendous system of organized robbery. She argued the church stripped women of self-respect, opportunities for education, exercise of her own judgment, conscience, and will. Her anti-religious nature put Matilda at odds with other feminist leaders, at the 30th anniversary of the Seneca Falls Convention, a series of resolutions was adopted, including three written by Matilda. Of those, one especially contentious resolution accused religion of playing upon women's hopes and fears of the future and subjugating her and her children to priestcraft and superstition. After the convention, both Matilda's own organization and the less radical American Woman Suffrage Association, also known as the AWSA, objected to the resolution. The New York world even criticized them as an illustration of the evil tendencies of the women's rights movement. Matilda was one of the most outspoken voices in feminist causes, but it was often that same outspoken nature that excluded her from mainstream movements. In 1880, after New York State had allowed women to run and vote in school board elections, Matilda's hometown voting protest went off without a hitch. Every single woman got to vote. But that same year, Elizabeth and Susan gave an interview for one of the triumvirate's publications, The History of Woman Suffrage, and left Matilda out as a contributor and activist. When the book was actually published, Matilda also realized her own chapters had been edited to minimize her efforts. In 1890, the NWSA merged with the conservative AWSA. In protest, Matilda left and founded her own anti-church organization called the Woman's National Liberal Union. Though her opening convention attracted significant press, Matilda was unable to keep the group going. Over the years, her financial situation had become increasingly dire. In 1893, Matilda published her own work called Woman, Church, and State, which developed her thoughts on women and religion. It made a definite splash. She even received a fan letter from Leo Tolstoy. Throughout her life, Matilda was also a staunch abolitionist and supporter of Native American rights. She openly criticized the U.S. government's failure to respect treaties. She wrote about different forms of government she admired, specifically the matriarchal power of clan matrons in the Haudenosaunee Confederacy. In 1893, the Wolf Clan of the Mohawk Nation offered her an honorary adoption. Matilda continued working up until her death in 1898, at the age of 71. Her absence in modern accounts of the suffrage movement inspired a term called the Matilda Effect. It refers to a social situation where women scientists receive less credit for their work than an actual objective examination of their efforts would reveal. Although Matilda's name is often missing from the history books, her impact is incredibly wide-ranging towards the end of her life, she may have influenced her son-in-law, L. Frank Baum, who would go on to write The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. It's possible that Matilda's ideas influenced his writing of a world ruled by women, especially witches, in a nod to woman, church, and state. He also championed critical thinking over worship, as exemplified when Toto pulls back the curtain on the wizard to reveal the normal man behind it. Matilda's ashes rest in Fayetteville Cemetery. Her tombstone reads one of her lifelong mottos. There is a word sweeter than mother, home, or heaven. That word is liberty. For more information, find us on Facebook and Instagram at Womanica Podcast. Special thanks to Jenny and Liz Kaplan for inviting me to guest host today's episode. Talk to you tomorrow.
2: You see, my goal was always a seat at the table. It's what women are conditioned to believe success is. And when the chair doesn't fit, when it doesn't reach the table, when it's wobbly, when it's full of splinters, we don't have the luxury of fixing it or finding another one. But we try anyways we take on that responsibility and we shoulder that burden. Now, I've been fortunate enough to sit at a few seats at a few different tables, and what I've learned is when you get the seat, trying to fix the seat won't fix the problem. Why? Because the table was never built for us in the first place. The solution? Build better tables. (laughs) So, allow Need to be your very own IKEA manual. I would like to present to you a set of guidelines I very eloquently call how to build a table that doesn't suck. I've been told I'm very literal. <laughs> now, right off the bat, let me tell you this assembly is going to take more than one person or group of people, it's going to take everyone. Are you ready? Should we dive in? Let's do it. Up first, don't weaponize gratitude. Now, don't get me wrong, gratitude is a great word. It's nice, it's fluffy, a solid 11 points in Scrabble. Okay? However, let's be clear, although gratitude feels warm and fuzzy, it's not a form of currency. Women are assigned 10% more work and spend more time on unrewarded, unrecognized, and non-promotable tasks. Basically, what this means is all the things men don't want to do are being handed to women. And a lot of those things largely include things that advance inclusivity, equity, and diversity in the workplace. So hear me when I say, a woman shouldn't be grateful to sit at a table. She should be paid to sit at a table. Especially ones she largely helped build. And a woman's seat shouldn't be threatened if she doesn't seem grateful enough. In other words, corporations, this step involves a woman doing a job and being paid in money, opportunity, and promotion, not just gratitude. And women, yeah, go ahead, live it up, do your, do your, live your life. And women, a moment of real talk. Trust me, I've been there, and I know it is so tough, but we have to understand and remember that being grateful and being treated fairly are not mutually exclusive. I can be grateful but still know exactly what I deserve, and that's the way to do it.